This is an ABC podcast. Australia 5 for 129, and the Dua Mackay, a great man for this situation, is to part the Bennett. Uh, what will Dennis Lilly do about that? Ian Chappell was going to chase that, and that's funny. It's spun a metre, we're talking metric terms these days. That was a good leg swim. And what a test match indeed. My goodness me. Let's have a look at that one on the action replay again. You can judge for yourselves that the ball pitched on about Safra also having a bit of a gesture there, I think, with the umpire, is he? He's out, 87. He's out, he's out, he's out, out. and he's 87. Yes, he's out. This is Everlasting Summer, the story of cricket on the ABC, with Amanda Smith. And in this third episode, it's the story of cricket on ABC TV. Hard to remember now that Channel 2 was the home of cricket for over 20 years. The beginning of the end came in 1977, a year full of contradictions, according to cricket writer Gideon Haig. Well, 1977 is the year of the Queen's Silver Jubilee and it's also the year of punk. So it's one of those years that has a certain resonance in the culture and it was in cricket as well. It was the year in which Test cricket, the official and longest form of the game, celebrated its 100th birthday with an anniversary Test match at the MCG on around about the same dates as the initial game had taken place in 1877. It looked like a celebration of all that was great and traditional and continuous in the game. To finish off this test match, England all out for 417. Another great performance there by Lily to see the end of England and Australia triumphing by a margin of 45 runs. And by the most astonishing coincidence, it's exactly the same margin as Australia won the first test match by in 1877. That's Richie Benno on ABC TV for that centenary test of 1977. It was also, unbeknownst to the authorities, uh, a forum in which recruiting agents for a private entrepreneur who was looking to set a, a rival cricket attraction was operating at the same time. The private entrepreneur is Kerry Packer and the rival cricket attraction is what becomes World Series cricket, which was all about getting the exclusive rights for cricket on Kerry Packer's Channel 9 and therefore off the ABC. It also took Richie Benno off to Channel 9. But let's go back to when the ABC was the dominant cricket channel. From the start of TV in Australia in 1956, the first cricket telecast on the ABC was that year, a Sheffield Shield match. Then the first international cricket, media and sports historian Michael Ward. Well, according to the ABC annual report for 1957-58, the first international cricket broadcast in Australia was of the touring women's team in February 1958. Women's cricket? That's right, yes. The report says that um, the ABC provided broadcasts on television of the test match, which must have been the second test because the first test at North Sydney Oval was completely washed out. So the first test cricket, international cricket, was of women's cricket. And that may very well have been the first time international women's cricket was broadcast anywhere in the world. The first men's international cricket on ABC TV was later in 1958, the first test of the Ashes series at the Gabba in Brisbane. 
And of course, at that stage, television hadn't started in Brisbane. It was only on at that stage in Sydney and Melbourne. So the ABC recorded the match, the five days of the test match, which was one of the slowest games ever played, famous for Trevor Bailey's seven and a half hours to score 68 runs. The recordings were then flown to Sydney and Melbourne, and then the highlights were broadcast that evening in Melbourne and Sydney. The first live telecasts were of later tests in this series, though you could only see it live in the city the match was played in, and only then the last two hours of play. But it was a start. In the summer of 1961, Ian Chappell had just left school. He wasn't a cricketer of note yet, and just like any other cricket enthusiast, he watched the game on black and white TV. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, I probably watched quite a bit, but the one that really stands out is the drawn test in Adelaide. Australia still with this last wicket intact. Klein not out 15. So this is the third test in that famous series against the West Indies where there'd already been for the very first time a tied test. And great Scott, what are we going to call this for a field? The whole side's gathered round Klein. I just started work with a chemist shop in Adelaide. So I could only go to the cricket when it was a holiday. But after work, you'd, you'd have these television sets because it was still pretty new in Adelaide and you'd have these television sets in the windows of the shop. And because it was such an exciting finish to the game... What a fantastic sight this is. No hope of telling you what this field is. The whole West Indies side is within about four yards of Klein's bat. I went to my bus stop to catch my bus to go home, but the television was on, so I, I stopped and watched the finish of that game where Slasher Mackay and uh, Lindsay Klein held on for a draw. So it was really exciting watching that, and uh, that's the one that really sticks in my mind. Did you miss your bus? Oh, I would have missed three or four buses probably, <laughs> but I didn't care about that. I just, you know, I just liked watching the cricket. Bat again, and here it comes. This is the last ball, and Hall bowls it, and Mackay's hit high up in the body. It's all over. It's a drop. It's a drop. They say that cricket on ABC TV in those days was pretty dull. Did you think so back then? Well, it wasn't dull to me because I was watching cricket, and I didn't care that it was shot from one end or that we were seeing the backside of a batsman. All I cared about was that I saw Wes Hall charging in, bowling bloody quick, and guys bobbing and weaving. So to me, I didn't care what the coverage looked like. I, I could see cricket. That's all that mattered to me. Compared with what was to come, though, the coverage was pretty basic, as cricket commentators Jim Maxwell and Tim Lane recall. In those black and white sort of three or four camera days, people sort of talk about one camera, it felt a bit like that. And if you saw a replay of the style of it now, you'd, you'd wince. You'd say, oh, they covered it from one end only because they used to look at the backside of the wicketkeeper and the batsman. At times where you're trying to work out whether an LBW decision looked reasonable or not and um, the batsman's got his back to you and you couldn't see the ball pitch, you couldn't see what it did, you couldn't see where it hit. So that could be a bit frustrating. Uh, close-ups, they never had close-ups of 
people. It was always shot while there were little ants running around on the television screen. And there were no replays, of course, for a long while. If you missed it, a bit like being at the game, you missed it. But it was wonderful to watch it on ABC television because there were no ads in those days. No one thought of interrupting the cricket. All that would change. But one of the big developments that happened in 1972 was being able to telecast a cricket match live from overseas. The ABC did it first for just the last day of a test in England in 72. But media and sports historian Michael Ward says that even more significant and fateful was the next time it was done. The live coverage of the entire match, the final of the World Cup between Australia and the West Indies in 1975, the match that went until 5am from memory in Eastern Australia and the match that is said to have got Kerry Packer's interest when he found out that there were one and a half million people watching the ABC at 1am in the morning, which is a pretty substantial audience at any time of the day, uh, I think he knew that there was something happening. And it would prompt Kerry Packer to put a lot of money on the table to get the exclusive television rights for cricket for the Nine Network. Now, the notion of paying for the right to broadcast a sport is worth pausing on for a moment because, according to sports historian Bob Stewart, it wasn't always how things were done in the pre-television age. The cricket authorities made up of the Board of Control, the national body, and the state associations. All they wanted in the early days was what was called a facilities fee that would cover opening up the ground, providing some space, and generally allowing the uh, broadcaster to come in. So there was no broadcasting fee as such. It was called a facilities fee, and it was quite low. For example, in the late 1940s, the facilities fee to broadcast a season from the Sydney cricket ground was £300. Nowadays, of course, we're used to absolutely massive amounts paid for the broadcast rights to major sports. So what was the rationale for this nominal sort of facilities fee? The cricket authorities would benefit from having all this free publicity from, from the ABC and the commercial stations for nothing. So they were very happy. So they, they were, in fact, keen to see the games being broadcast. But then from the radio viewpoint, of course, they could draw a good listening audience by broadcasting the cricket. So that was mutually beneficial. So you didn't need a broadcast fee to consolidate that agreement. And that was accepted for many years. And there was a bit of an assumption, I think, in both cricket administration and broadcasting circles that this was a kind of a virtuous circle and that need not be sullied by money. Cricket writer Gideon Haig. It was an assumption destined not to last. In the late 1940s, though, some administrators begin to believe that perhaps radio is potentially diminishing the cricket audience. People would prefer to listen to the game rather than to attend to it. And therefore, it would be economically optimum if radio was to pay something in compensation for this, to contribute in some way to, uh, to, to the cricket exchequer. Needless to say, the ABC uh, expresses some indignation about this because they have, as far as they're concerned, supported the game over a long period and they identify very closely with its interests. But in 1949-50, when Australia, the Australian team is actually abroad, it's in South Africa at the time, so it's only a Sheffield Shield season here. But... Um, 
The Victorian Cricket Association, as a member of the Australian Board of Control, says that actually we want some money for this from the ABC and we are prepared for them not to broadcast games until they do so. Uh, the ABC basically says, well, that's fine. We won't broadcast them. It broadcasts them in other states, but but not in Victoria. But by the time the following summer comes around, which is an ashes summer in which an England team is about to visit, and it's kind of a national priority, national pride is at stake in the sense that the cricket has to be on the ABC, it actually goes for a kind of arbitration with the Post and Telegraphs Minister, I think Hubert Anthony, decides that both the parties come to see him and at a meeting in Canberra, it is decided that the ABC will pay a sum to the Australian Board of Control on a per-game basis, a rights fee. It's the first time the expression has been used for the entitlement to broadcast from within the ground, which goes beyond the simple payment for the provision of services or space by the uh, Board of Control. It establishes a fascinating precedent that there is commercial value residing in these rights. And in a classic case of be careful what you wish for, the Australian Cricket Board in 1977 find that there are people prepared to buy those rights for sums of money greatly in excess of cricket's imagination, but whom cricket hitherto had kept rather at arm's length. Kerry Packer. And World Series cricket, and the biggest shake-up that cricket and cricket broadcasting had ever seen. It's a collision of old and new, and it partly comes about because the old had become so valuable. You know, at the time, test cricket and cricket generally loomed very large in the public's imagination. It was very popular. There'd been a very successful Australian team over the preceding five or six years that had endeared itself to the public that had actually generated, even if the authorities were unaware of it, a great deal of latent commercial value, which the private sector was interested in monetising. And at this stage, of course, it's the ABC that's the major television broadcaster. Of cricket. Yeah, it's not the only one. The, the ABC was the, uh, the loyal servant and boon companion of cricket in a television sense from earliest days. But commercial television had always taken an intermittent uh, and sometimes impulsive interest in certain series. Every so often a commercial television station would say, oh, we wouldn't mind broadcasting that as well. But the ABC ruled the roost because, of course, there were no commercials, no commercial breaks, and everyone, if they wanted to watch cricket, would prefer to watch it without commercials. That was the general understanding of the preferences of the viewing audience at the time. It was also Kerry Packer's understanding of the way in which people consumed their cricket. Therefore, he became interested in the idea of exclusive broadcast rights. ABC had always held its rights on a non-exclusive basis. It did not exclude anyone else in competition. But Packer thought, well, if I could become the monopoly broadcaster of cricket in this country, I would have a guaranteed audience. And if I wanted to put commercials on between overs and extract my rents that way, then I could. So why did he invent World Series cricket in order to get the exclusive television rights? because he couldn't get 
the rights the first time he asked. In 1976, he had a meeting with the Australian Cricket Board. He knew that the rights were coming up for renewal with the ABC. He had a famous meeting at Jollymont with the burghers of the Australian Cricket Board. They told him that, in their opinion, the ABC had always been there for cricket and therefore they would always be there for the ABC. The man chosen to captain the Australian World Series team was Ian Chappell. I'd retired from all cricket except club cricket, so all first class, all international cricket, mainly because I was worn out, captaincy had worn me out, I'd had enough, and then all of a sudden I get this whisper about World Series cricket, And my motivation really was that I believed in what they were trying to do. Improving players' pay and conditions, yeah? Definitely, yep. And sure, the main aim for Kerry was to get the television rights off the ABC. I mean, he started by apparently offering three times what the ABC offered and the board knocked him back. And that as you could imagine, Kerry didn't take kindly to being knocked back. And particularly when he was offering three times the amount of money, uh, that would have annoyed him greatly. Packer replied in words that have become famous and resonated down the years. Come on, gentlemen, we're all whores. What's your price? Now, there have been more honeyed words to say to amateur high-minded cricket administrators, so they sent him packing. And Packer had been told, I think, by his father that he should become the member of any club that he wanted to by the age of 35. After that, too many people wouldn't like him. Uh, And he was getting to that stage in his life, so he thought, well, why don't I build my own club? And so the next thing, here we are, we've got World Series cricket. In 1977, Jim Maxwell was a young cricket commentator with the ABC. Jim, how did you radio commentators respond on air at the time of World Series cricket? On air? Uh, We went quietly because we were still doing Cricket Australia's version of the game, which in the two years of World Series were a series between Australia and India and then Mike Brearley's team winning the Ashes convincingly against Graham Yallop in 1978-9. So we were still doing cricket and we were doing what we like to call the fair dinkum cricket, not the Harlem Globetrotters version, which, you know, initially no one was watching at the ground. So we just stuck to what we were able to do. And, um, yeah, I think initially the feeling was this won't last, this World Series cricket. You know, it's exhibition cricket. But for the two years that World Series cricket did run, it took all the best players around the world away from playing for their traditional national teams. Then in 1979, Kerry Packer got what he'd been after all along from the Australian Cricket Board, the exclusive TV rights. Gideon Haig. The settlement, the resolution that was reached between the ACB and World Series Cricket in 1979 was basically designed to rebuild the establishment's monopoly over cricket presentation and promotion. And in return for that, the ABC basically had to be sacrificed along the way. Did the ABC put up much of a fight? Yeah, they did, a considerable fight, because there was a trade practices question about whether exclusive rights could even be offered. And in fact, the ABC was successful in challenging that idea under the TPA. But interestingly, Packer's original thesis 
was subtly undermined by the fact that people had now got used to watching cricket on Channel 9 with advertising breaks. And given the choice between watching it on Channel 9 with advertising breaks, but also a very superior quality of television production, including high-profile commentators and extensive use of replays and a, a kind of a dramatic sort of narrative presentation of the game rather than the way in which the ABC had traditionally covered the game, which was at a remove with a certain degree of restraint and, and only from one end, uh, people would put up with the ad breaks and they'd watch the commercial production. So after a couple of seasons in which the ABC broadcast concurrently with Channel 9, the ABC kind of folded its tent and withdrew simply to covering cricket on radio. Although the commercial TV cricket coverage certainly had a lot more razzmatazz to it, it owed a lot to what had been developed over the years by the ABC. I argue that the ABC is entirely responsible for what became a commercialised sporting media product. It didn't necessarily intend to do that. Media and sports historian Michael Ward. The ABC had action replay in 1971. The ABC had slow motion replay a few years later. It had multi-camera setups by the early 1970s. It had on-screen graphics at that time also. I mean, all of those things that are often associated with the commercialisation of cricket coverage existed before it went to the commercials and as part of the development of the package that was presented. I mean, much is made, and rightly, Packer introduced more cameras and had cameras at each end of the ground for the first time. That is probably the single innovation that was different to what had been done before. By the time of World Series cricket, that ultimately signalled the end of cricket on ABC TV, Tim Lane had just started to do a bit of cricket commentary on ABC TV, as well as radio. I think if we'd, and if I had known and and sort of thought hard enough about where this pointed our futures, I would have been really worried. Uh, It was concerning the fact that the ABC was losing TV cricket because it was part of our lifeblood. But it was the start of a trend that was inexorable and um, thank goodness for ABC Radio and thank goodness for cricket on ABC Radio because it was an institution and that period and the aftermath perhaps enhanced it in many ways. And Alan McGilvray was so large that they wrote a song about him at that time to promote cricket on ABC Radio. When the game has just begun. But, yeah, the loss of cricket on ABC TV, you know, was sad, but it could never have been any other way when you think about it. He's everything to cricket. Cricket's everything to him, you know. The game is not the same without McGillivray. From a lusty cover drive, the one that brings the crowd. Nothing like a 1970s rock anthem-style jingle. Though you suspect McGilvray himself might not have loved it. But I guess it was the ABC's riposte to Channel 9's Come On Aussie, Come On. Interestingly, although Alan McGilvray was at the ABC all through its TV cricket years, he never did any television commentary, although he was asked. No, I, Bernie Kerwood, his director of sport, asked me to do commentary on television but it was then I'd do 20 minutes on television 20 minutes on radio impossible to do that 
because in one you talk all the time and the others you don't talk. So I said, no, I want to be relieved of that. And he said, well, make your choice, television or radio. And I said, radio. But you can't do both because it's a different style. It, it's like a... See, a word picture comes into your lounge room and you, you bring your word picture of the actual event by voice. The other one, it's in your television set. And, and so it's a different commentary. I use the television as a challenge. And I had to be better than them. I had to be faster than them, as faster than the camera. And I think your eye can be faster. And I've always used that as a, to be better. Uh, and, and that was the, someone you accept as a challenge and you fight it. Everlasting Summer is a production of ABC Sport and ABC RN. And in the next episode, it's back to radio and with Australia playing a greater diversity of national teams more often at home and away, the diversification of commentators and of listeners. All episodes of Everlasting Summer are on the ABC Listen app. Check them out. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.